Good morning. I'm Brian Legg. I'm one of the pastors here at TBA. So glad that you guys are here this morning, especially on Memorial Day weekend. You know, it's a great time for many of us to go to the beach or go camping or do other things and kind of get away. We got the three-day weekend thing going, and so I'm so glad that you guys made the choice to be here. Before I jump into things, I want to give a really quick disclaimer. There's a couple things I'm going to talk about this morning that are somewhat adult in nature, and so if this is a day that you've brought a younger child in with you, I would just encourage you to use your own discretion. It may be a great day for them to check out our children's ministry, but I will let you do as you wish. I just want you to be aware. I won't be graphic about anything, but I want you to know that as we get started this morning. All right, here's the moment of truth. I need you guys to be honest with me, completely honest, and honest with your neighbor. You're going to have to raise your hand for this one. I want to know how many of you, when you were a child, whether elementary, junior high, high school, some of you still in college, remember writing one of those little notes to that special someone. You know the note I'm talking about. It's the one where you write something like this. I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. And you draw the little box and maybe even draw some little hearts and some pretty things. And then you give it to your best friend and you tell your best friend, can you take it over to her? Or can you take it over to him? And then you sit there and you wait and you watch. How are they going to respond? How many of you wrote those notes? Come on. Most of you. The rest of you are probably lying. We've all done it, right? I'm going to regret this, but I'm going to tell you a little secret about me. I wrote a lot of those notes as a kid. I mean, a lot. Sunday nights, I came from a family that was tied into ministry. My mom was really involved in the church. We were in church every time the doors were open. And I went to one of those smaller traditional churches. It was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then any meeting in between, and I went to all of them. Sunday mornings weren't so bad because you went into half of worship and then you slipped out for kids' church, and so that was a fun day. But as a little kid, Sunday nights, sometimes they were just painful. I mean, you had to sit through that boring sermon and that, hear that boring preacher talk again. And, and so every Sunday night, I would take my fancy little recycled paper. Do you remember that? The brown paper, it was ugly, had the little speckles in it, and it had the great big lines that ran across it so you could practice your manuscript. I would take a whole stack of that stuff on Sunday night, and I would sit during church on Sunday night and just write note after note after note after note. I like you, do you like me, check yes or no. And I'd write them to all these different girls, either in my class or in the class next door, or some girl in some other grade. And then I would take the notes and I would fold them up in a really special way that there was this one girl in class, I mean, she was the prettiest girl in school, and she taught me how she folded her notes. And I went, if it works for her, it's got to work for all girls, right? So I would fold my notes in that special way and I would tuck it in and it was all locked up and ready to go, and I'd put their names on it, and I was ready. I figured the best way to get a girlfriend was just to put it all out there and check with all of them, right? <laughs> I was even smooth about how I handed them out. I went to school the next day, and I'd give one over here by the water fountain, and I'd give one back here behind the lockers, and I'd give one out on the playground, and I'd hand them all out. If only I had known then what I know now and realized that girls talk. And so I'd hand out all these notes, and they all knew I was handing it to all of them. They would talk to each other about it. I mean, I was done before I even started. See, we laugh about that. We think about those notes, and all of us, at least for a one or two, probably at some point in our life. But stop and think for a minute. Why were we writing those notes? 
When you write that down, when you ask that question, I like you, do you like me, check yes or no, what are you really asking? What was I looking for? I was looking for acceptance, looking for relationship, looking for significance or value. See, I was trying to meet a need that all of us have. We all have this need to be accepted. We all have this need to be loved. We have this need to be in relationship and to know that somebody cares as much about us as we care about them. And we do silly little things like this in elementary, but in reality, all through life, we're asking that same question. I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. I was asking important questions. And see, a lot of us approach marriage that way. We get into marriage going, I'm going to find Mr. Right, or I'm going to find Ms. Right, and everything's going to be good. How's Disney tell us about it? And they live happily ever after, right? How's that working for you in your marriages? Anybody got a marriage that lived happily ever after? If you've been married more than six months, I guarantee you've come across a moment where it's not happily ever after. You come across those moments where you go, this stinks, I don't know that I like this person. But you have to choose to love them. You have to choose to work at it. Mr. Wright suddenly has become Mr. I'd rather be golfing or Mr. I don't do the dishes anymore. And it's hard. You experience some of that letdown in marriage because it wasn't what you expected walking into it. Hmm. Singles, I hope you guys are hearing this. Because I want to tell you about a myth this morning. And you've probably heard this, but I don't know if you believe it. You should listen to all the laughter and look at all the smirks on the married people's faces because you'll realize that this is true. Mr. or Mrs. Wright is a myth. They don't exist. Guess what? We're all messed up people. We're all broken. And we put our best foot forward and we date and we do all these things and you go, man, this is the perfect person for me. Everything's going to be good now. And then you get to know them and you realize, hey, they're messed up too. There's problems with them too. Everything's good till you get to know them. I hear this all the time as I sit with couples and we talk about things. I'm having problems in my marriage. My marriage is having issues. Guess what? Your marriage isn't having problems. There's nothing wrong with marriage. God created marriage perfectly. And your marriage is still good. The problem is with you. The problem's with me. See, we're messed up people who happen to be married, and so therefore we have problems. Because there is no Mr. and Ms. Right. And when we come together and we get to know each other and we start to get past all the fluff and all the best foot forward stuff, the reality starts to set in. And we began to have issues. But it's not really our marriage. It's us. You've probably heard this phrase before, either from your parent or as a parent you've said this. Who are you responsible for? You ever said that to your kids or heard that said to you? Your kids are fighting and she did this and he did that and back and forth. Who are you responsible for? Ten times a day at least I say this in my house. Who are you responsible for? Who can you do something about? You can't fix your sister or your brother. You can't fix your girlfriend. You can't fix your spouse. You can only take care of you. Who are you responsible for? But yet so many times in relationship we get caught up thinking that it's somebody else. 
It's what he did, or it's what she did, or it's what's wrong with them, and it's all their problem. And in reality, we can only be responsible for ourselves. See, our marriage isn't broken. We are broken. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, starting in verse 3, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? That's a pretty good image right there. Think about it. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I don't know about you guys, but in my experience, you never get far enough with getting the log out of your own eye to ever deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I think Jesus was trying to tell us something here. I want to do something this morning that we haven't done a lot here at TBA. I want to speak specifically to those of you who are single. And if you're married, I would encourage you, don't tune me out. You need to still listen today because, one, you're going to be able to speak into some single people's lives because you've experienced some of this. And two, the things we're going to talk about are still pertinent to all of us. But if you're here today and you're single, and regardless of why, whether you've always been single, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed, it doesn't matter why, If you're single today, I want to speak to you about a couple things because there's some things that I think we need to hear about how we handle our relationships. Now, singles, this is kind of a deep question. And we, you know, at TBA, we get accused sometimes of not being real deep in our messages, so I'm going to go deep today. All right? You need to prepare yourselves for this. You're going to have to think. This is like school. Are you ready? Are you awake? All right. Here we go. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you the person that the person you are looking for is looking for? Think about it. Some of you look dumbfounded. Are you the person that the person you are looking for is looking for? See, we're only responsible for ourselves. We are the only person who can change us. We can't control anyone else. In other words, are you allowing God to speak into your life to change you, to develop you into the person He wants you to be? So that when you find that Mr. or Ms. Wright that you think has got it all together, are they going to be looking for you? Have you gotten your life in order to a point where they're interested in you and they look at you and go, that is Mr. or Ms. Wright? Again, the reality is going to fade away because we're all broken. But are you preparing yourself for that? Are you ready for it? See, I think too many times we go into marriage thinking it's going to fill the void. And the reality is it won't. It will never fill the void. In fact, I heard somebody one time talk about having this God-shaped hole in our heart. And only God can fill that hole. It's that need for relationship that he wired us with. We have that need for intimacy and relationship. And God is the only one who can meet it. But we spend all of our time trying to meet that need in everybody else around us. We spend all of our time trying to find the perfect person who's going to fill that hole. And it's like taking a square peg and trying to shove it in a round hole. If you're a plumber, you know that doesn't work. You're going to have a leak when you do that. You can't put a square peg in a round hole. It just doesn't fit. But yet, that seems to be how we approach this idea of relationship and intimacy. When we are pursuing intimate relationship, it has to be God first. Spouse, significant other, has to come second. If we get those priorities out of line, 
we're going to have problems within our marriage relationship because we are going to have problems. It's not about finding the right person. It's really about becoming the right person. How are you becoming the right person? How are you becoming the person God wants you to be, that he's wired you to be, that he's calling you to be? How are you preparing yourself for those other relationships? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is commonly known as the love chapter, and you probably have this memorized even if you don't know you have it memorized because every single wedding you've ever gone to, you've heard this passage of Scripture. Every time someone's mentioned love, you've heard something from this passage of Scripture. You've heard it over and over. But listen to these words. Love is patient and kind. Love's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Think about those words a minute. If someone else were to describe you, would they use words like this? If someone were describing me, would they say, Brian is patient or kind or is not jealous, is not boastful, is not rude? Would someone describe you that way? Put your name in place of love. Are these traits that you carry, that you reflect? How are you doing with being patient? Long-suffering may be another word that you would think of. How are you doing with being kind, being considerate to others, putting others' needs before your own? What about jealousy or envy? This is a big one. I find all the time that we get stuck in letting our insecurities went over in our lives and we're always trying to one-up somebody else. It's hard for us to let somebody else win. I mean, you hear a silly little story like, well, hey, I caught a five-pound bass the other day. Oh, yeah, well, six months ago I caught one that was eight pounds. How many times do you get caught doing those kinds of things because you want to have value and you want to have significance and you want people to look at you and think that there's something special about you? And whether you're single or married doesn't matter. We all fall into these traps so easily. Your spouse says something and you're one-upping them. You're telling another story or you're talking about how it could be different. Do not be boastful or proud or rude. You know that word rude, it actually is translated in many versions as do not dishonor someone. Do not dishonor someone. In other words, treat others with honor. Treat others with honor. What does that mean? What's that look like? To honor somebody means doing nothing that will ever cause regret in that other person. Let that sink in a minute. To honor someone means to never do anything that will cause regret in that person. I'm going to be a little bit blunt. Are you honoring people when it comes to your physical relationships? Are you? See, 
you may think I'm getting on a soapbox, but we live in a society, we live in a world today that says that sex is just a physical thing. That's all there is to it. There's nothing emotional attached to it. It's not this deep thing. It's, it's just physical. There's nothing wrong with it. And it's a lie. It is an absolute lie. Sex is the deepest form of physical intimacy that we will ever experience here on earth. And it leaves an imprint on you when you are involved with someone sexually. I don't care what the world says to you. It leaves an imprint. And you leave an imprint on another person when you're involved in that relationship. Are you honoring others with the way you're living your physical life? Are you causing regret in someone else in the way you're handling that relationship? This is the one area that does the most damage in people. And yet we tend to just brush it aside. Go, oh, it's okay. It's just a physical thing. No big deal. I wish that were the truth. See, as a pastor, there's another phrase I hear all the time. It goes something like this. I need to tell you something that I've never told anybody else before. That's how the conversation starts. And 99.9% of the time when I hear those words, I know what's coming. I don't know the details, I don't know the circumstances, but I know where it's coming from because it has to do with a wound that has happened from a sexual sin. Either a choice that has been made or something that was done to you. And I see it over and over and over and it is the deepest wounds that we deal with. It's not just physical. Are you honoring people in your physical relationships? Look at what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians 6. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. If you want my honest opinion, I think the church has been quiet about this for far too long. I think we've allowed people to fall into places they shouldn't have been because we've refused to get up and talk about it or be open about it because somebody might get embarrassed. But it's a rampant problem in our society. Anytime there is sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage as God has predicted it, there are problems and there is hurt. Look what he says, run from sexual sin. Other versions say flee from sexual sin. That word can be translated either way. Run as far away as fast as you can get there. Get away from it. Don't go anywhere near it. Don't touch it. It's that damaging. It is the single most damaging thing to you. If you want years of counseling to fix what's happened, get involved in sexual sin. That's what happens. And I don't mean to say that lightly because I know there's some pain represented in our room as I talk about this. Guys, are you honoring the ladies you're dating? Are you honoring the ladies that you're in relationship with? Or are you doing things that will cause regret in them today or even five years or ten years from now? 
Because you want to talk about something that will come back up in your life when you're married? It's sexual. Sexual sin will come back up, guaranteed. Your present will eventually be your past, and I can promise you that your past will show up in your future. Let that sink in for a minute. Your present will become your past, but your past will show up in your future. We bring baggage into our marriage relationship, and those things show up, and we have to deal with them. Guys, are you protectors of God's daughters, or are you predators? Ooh, those are fighting words. That's harsh. Think about it. Are you protectors of God's daughters or are you predators? Are you honoring ladies in your relationships? Ladies, I would ask the same of you. Are you honoring God and honoring your future husband in the relationships that you are involved in? Are you protecting your greatest gift that you can give your husband? I'll just tell you plain out, if he doesn't honor you now, he won't honor you later. Listen to me. If he doesn't honor you now, he won't honor you later. Don't think that you're going to change that. If you're married in the room, are you honoring your spouse? Do you have appropriate boundaries in place? Do you have layers of protection in your relationships to make sure you don't get yourself in a vulnerable position where you're going to fail? Guys, how are you doing with things like pornography or lustful thoughts? What layers of protection do you have in place? What boundaries do you have to protect you from those things? Ladies, the same for you. How are you doing with those little smutty romance novels that you love to read? Maybe there's not pictures in them, but they say all the same things and get the same emotions. What about your movies like Magic Mike? There was a big one. Just watch Facebook. You can see when those things come out and the ladies just, wah! How are you doing with that? What are your relationships like at work and at school and in the grocery store and with your neighbor? Would you behave the same with that person if your spouse was standing beside you? Would they feel honored by your behavior if they were standing beside you? Satan's looking for ways to take us out of the game. And there's an easy way to do it. Because we have taken something that God has designed to be so beautiful and we perverted it so badly just simply because of sin in our lives and sinful nature. And this is one of those areas that we have to have boundaries. We have to have protection. And it has to be layers of boundaries to keep us from getting into that position where we could fail. Because once you're there, it's too late. Once you're in that position where the opportunity opens itself, you're done. You've already gone too far. And there's almost no chance of turning away at that point. What are you doing to put boundaries up? Go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and listen to that last verse again. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Those are permanent kinds of words. Love never gives up. Never. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. And it endures through everything. 
This isn't the way we live our lives, is it? See, it's too easy in today's culture when marriage isn't working out, when the relationship's not going so well, to just turn and walk away. I'm just going to get away from this. I'm going to sweep it under the rug. I want to go to the next person. I'll find Mr. Right eventually. I'll find Mr. Right eventually. This, this wasn't the right person for me. Instead of walking through the tough and the painful moments and dealing with the junk that's within us, not just within our marriage, within us, instead of dealing with our own junk, we walk away. Hear me clearly on this. I'm not saying that there are not relationships out there where people need to walk away. Because there are. And if you've been in one of those relationships, I am so sorry. Because I tell you that there are relationships that happen where there is biblical grounds and reason to walk away from the relationship and you need to. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe that that's the excuse that the rest of us use to walk away when the going gets tough. And instead of facing it head on and dealing with all the junk, we give up and we turn tail and run. Love never gives up, never loses faith, always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. For those of you that are single, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I could understand what you go through. For those of you who are single and desperately want relationship, I wish I could understand the pain and the struggle. If I'm being honest, I can't. I've been married for 14 years and I don't even remember the struggle that I had when I was single. I mean, we laugh about the little notes, but I don't remember that struggle. I can't fully relate with what you're going through. I don't have any great answers for you. I can't tell you exactly what God's plan is in your life. And this will sound like a cliche Sunday school answer, and I really don't mean it to be, but the question I would ask you is, are you trusting God? Are you truly putting your faith in Him and looking to Him first and foremost? And this is not one of those things to say, well, just trust God and everything's good. Because sometimes trusting God doesn't mean that everything feels good. Sometimes putting our faith in God doesn't mean that everything works out the way we think it should work out. But are you really looking to him first and foremost for that relationship and to meet those needs of intimacy in your life? Because even after you get married, your spouse will never meet that need. They are just as broken as you are. And they have the same kinds of struggles you have. We have to be looking to God first and our spouse second. And if you're in the midst of walking through that journey where you desperately want to be married and are not, I'm sorry. I feel for you, whether I understand or not. But I would challenge you to ask yourself the question, am I becoming the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Am I allowing God to change me? Am I allowing God to speak into my life and to help me reflect these kinds of things that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13, to be patient, to be kind, to have those attributes that are going to go a long ways in that relationship? Because if we get those things down on our own, we can fix all those marriage problems that we run into. If we can look at that stuff honestly in ourselves, we can walk through the hard times. So where are you at with that? As I told you, I don't know what it feels like 
to be on that journey. But for the last 14, 15, 16 years, I've watched as my sisters walked on that journey. This is Krista, my sister, and she's going to come and share just a little bit with you this morning. And I asked her just to share part of her own story. Because here's what I've seen in her. I've seen her not only go through the struggle of being single and wanting desperately to have that family, but I've watched her focus on God and I've watched her trust Him and put her faith in Him on that journey. And I've watched it change her heart as she's walked through that journey. So maybe you can hear something from her that you can't hear from me. I am Krista, and I was asked to share a little of my story as a single lady of 29, plus a few years. (laughs) Um, Just a few years ago, I would not have been willing or able to share this story on stage with a smile on my face. In fact, my singleness was a status that I was distraught over. As a teenager, let's just say I was not the most sought-after girl in school. I had plenty of friends and activities that kept me busy, but dating was not a huge part of my junior high. Yes, some of us grew up before middle school um, or high school years. Looking back, I wonder if my singleness had something to do with how I was perceived. I was seen to be a good little Christian girl with good little Christian friends, and I was probably more than a little bit unapproachable. And I won't mention that my big brother was possibly a little intimidating. (laughs) I began working at a grocery store about the time I graduated from high school. And while I was working that summer, I met someone who was actually interested in me. He had just completed boot camp and was in the Army Reserves and most of my friends were leaving home for college. I was feeling um, very alone after graduation. I loved the idea of being loved, and even though our lifestyles were very different, less than a year later I was engaged, and everyone was shocked that I would be the first one in my class to be married. However, that was not to be. He found someone more interesting, and that was that. I was devastated, to say the least. However, a few months later, I attempted to pick up the pieces and try dating again. Apparently, young redheads were a popular item at that time because I successfully, or more unsuccessfully, dated through most branches of the military in the next year. (laughs) None of these relationships were God-centered, but they were just my attempt at not being single. After a year of lousy dating and spitefully attending my ex-fiance's wedding, I decided it was time for a change, so I moved to Florida to finish college. I really just needed to get away and start over. So I recall one day, during my first month in Florida, going to have a little quiet time with God. I went to a little lake, and it turned into a big pity party, complete with tears and a little old lady trying to comfort me. Uh, Needless to say, my transition was not easy, and I had no intention of staying in Florida. But God had other plans. The summer I graduated from college is the summer that my gorgeous oldest niece was born, and I absolutely could not leave. Over the past 12 years, I have learned a lot about dating and singleness. I have set my standards high. Some would say they are too high, but I know that I am a daughter of the king, and I deserve the best. I know that I cannot change who I am in an effort to attract a guy. I have personally set boundaries for my dating, which include modesty, not being alone late at night, and I strive to maintain physical boundaries. I want someone who shares these standards. I long for a man that seeks God first, that has learned about the love that Christ has taught, that loves me for who I am, and who will challenge me to walk closer with Christ. I want someone to share life with, 
to have fun with, and even someone with whom I can have a family. I want someone that will respect me, honor me, protect me, and cherish me. I know there will never be a perfect man, but I know that there are godly men who strive to follow Christ's example. And I know this because I've seen them both inside and outside of these church walls. You see, being single was never, ever part of my plan. I've always wanted to share life with someone. I waited quite a few years before buying a house because I just knew Mr. Wright would come along and we would buy our first home together. I have driven home from more than one bridal shower or baby shower in tears because I desperately wanted to be the one getting married and having children. I could even be quoted as having said, I will not go to another wedding until I am the one in the white dress walking down the aisle. I finally started a retirement plan because I knew that FRS was not going to cover this single girl. Dave Ramsey would be proud of that. And after years of this sorrow, bitterness, and questioning God's plan, God showed me that my wallowing in self-pity was not a part of his plan. I finally gave my battle with singleness to him. At a retreat I recently attended, each person was asked to share something for which they were thankful. As I sat there trying to think of something great or at least interesting in my life, the first person stood and said that they were thankful for their singleness. Wow. Even though I have let go of my bitterness about being single, It certainly was not something that I considered to be a blessing. That statement opened my heart and my mind to a whole new way of thinking. I do not have the responsibility of a spouse or a child at this time. I have been and still am learning to use my time differently. I am drawing closer to God and trusting him to lead. Do I still hope and pray that he will eventually lead me to a man I can love? Yes, of course. However, I am learning each day to trust him in this area. There are still times that I feel out of place as the only single, but I know that my joy comes from the Lord. I am now beginning to find true joy in others' marriage and birth announcements. I know that my time is coming, but only God knows when it will be. For now, I am blessed with amazing family, friends, and the opportunity to play a role in my nieces' lives. If you are single, I encourage you to look to God for your fulfillment. He is more than enough. James 4.8 begins by saying, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In Paul's letters, he boasts of his singleness because it allows him to place his focus solely on his ministry. In my singleness, I am seeking God's direction and pursuing a personal relationship with Christ, which will continue no matter what my marital status may be in the future. He is the lover of my soul, and I challenge you to do the same, regardless of your marital status. I don't know where you are on the journey. Whether you're single and you relate with the things that she's saying, or whether you're married and you're thinking about how you honor your spouse and the way you behave and your actions. But I would challenge you with this this morning. You are the only person who can do anything about you. We can only allow God to change us. You can pray all day long that he changes your spouse or changes that other person. And he might, but that's not up to you. So I want to challenge you this morning to look within yourself and ask that question. Am I really allowing God to speak into my heart? Am I allowing him to show me things in me that need to change? Am I allowing him to change who I am? 
and to develop me into that person he's calling me to be and who he's asked me to be. You know, I, I asked you that question about, are you honoring others? And I look back at some of my days, and most of it was unintentional, but I look back at some of the ways that I dishonored some ladies. And now as a dad of three girls, wow. I have a whole new perspective on guys. My daughter comes home and she tells me about this boy that is so special. And I go, I don't like him. And she says, well, what's wrong with him? I went, he's a boy. But you're a boy. Yeah, I know. And I know how I was as a boy. And I know how I was as a young man at times. And you want to talk about looking back and having some regrets. I've done that. Are you doing the things today that you need to do to honor those relationships around you? Are you allowing God to change you to be the person he's called you to be? As the band plays, our prayer team and our pastors will be up front here. And I would encourage you, if you need to pray about something, come forward, let us talk to you, let us pray with you. Or just come and kneel at the stage. And this is one of those subjects where it's hard to respond because you feel like you're sitting there and everybody's looking at you and going, oh, well, they must have done something bad. They're going up front. Guess what? Most of you did something bad. You should all be up here. It's not about that. If God's speaking to your heart this morning, you respond. Maybe you need to go to your spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or someone else and ask forgiveness for something you've done. Maybe you just need to come and kneel before God and ask Him for forgiveness for something you've done. Maybe you need Him to speak into your heart about how you need to be living your life moving forward. Whatever it is, let Him speak to your heart today and you respond as He speaks. Would you stand? Let's pray. God, we just commit this time to you. I pray that you would just move as only you can move. I pray that our hearts be open to, to sense the leading of your spirit and to hear your voice clearly. God, whether we need to repent over something or whether we just simply need to commit to allowing you to speak into our lives so that we can live our lives differently. God, whatever it is, you speak now. And help us simply to be open to hear your voice. God, I pray for those that you are speaking to their hearts and that you're calling them to do something about it. I pray for courage. I pray for strength. That they would respond in obedience today. Whether it be coming here to the front or going to someone to have a conversation or to pray together, whatever it may be, you move in power. We love you and we put all of our trust in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.